Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Hey, Houston, Khan's prices are invincible. That means prices have been cut low, as in amazingly low, as in won't be beat. In fact, we're backing it up with our low price guarantee. Invincible prices on appliances, furniture, electronics, mattresses, and more. Not invincible enough for you? How about free next-day delivery on appliances, TVs, and mattresses? And payment options for everyone, whether you have good credit or building it. Visit Cons today and find out what invincible feels like. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. The sun is high in the sky. Four near-do-wells have gathered in the middle of a town with microphones at the ready to talk high noon on this week's Zach on Film. Do not forsake me, major spoilers. Zach, this week uh, we're taking a dive into the western known as High Noon with one Gary Cooper. Yes, back into the western genre again. A nice run of uh, Steven's uh, favorite genre of of westerns. (laughs) Uh, This from the 1952 film High Noon, directed by Fred Zinman, Zinnaman. Yes. Zinnaman. Yep. Rhymes with cinnamon. Yeah. Um, starring Gary Cooper, Grace Kelly, a couple of different people. In a film... Well, not only not only uh, Grace Ke- Kelly and uh, Gary Cooper, but also Lon Chaney Jr. Lon Chaney Jr. We also got to see, um, uh, what's his name, uh, from uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. He, I think he that? didn't have any speaking lines. Yeah, uh, Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef. He didn't have any speaking lines, but he was one of the gang. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the four gang oh, members. Oh, now I let's see his picture. And then, don't uh, him. and don't forget the Lloyd Bridges. Yep, Lloyd Bridges and super young Jack Elam. Yep. Yeah, there's Henry Morgan was in there too. So a whole lot more people than just the first two listed on IMDb is what we're trying to get at. Yeah, that's what we're trying yes. to get at. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the whole thing we're trying to set up there. <laughs> so Rodrigo is over there sweating in the uh, land of the Russell. Um, Rodrigo, what, what makes this film good or what makes this film not so good? This is the first time you saw it. This is the first time I saw it. Um, what makes it good or not good? I think what makes it... Um, what makes this film interesting is that it's not a 
like start to finish action fest. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, there's very little action right. in it. Yeah. Actual, uh, you know, bang bang, dive behind a hay bale. I mean, you maybe get that the last eventually. seven minutes of movie. Yeah, you get that eventually. Um, but the movie kind of is like uh, a a long. It's like kind of like cranking a very uh, dangerous like box, um, trying to figure out if uh, if the sheriff. Or the marshal, who is like it's his last day on the job, if he's going to manage to get enough people so that he can not get killed, mm-hmm. and else, and you uh, slowly see everyone he has ever helped turn his back on him, and then he's kind of all alone. Yeah, that's really interesting because mm-hmm. um, before Gary Cooper became the uh, the marshal or the sheriff, I, I should say, the sheriff in the town, the town yeah. was like. Crazy town. People right. dying left and right. right. They even say, you know, a decent woman and children couldn't walk down the street without being assaulted. Mm-hmm. And then he comes in, and over the course of five, five years. plus years, yeah. he yeah. cleans up that town and has it all going, and everyone's like, yay for the sheriff. Yep. But he did it at the expense of making some uh, people angry. Made, made, the, a, made an enemy. Yeah, yeah. Out, of, of, uh, of out of the Miller fr- boys. Out of Frank Miller. Yeah. I'm going to come get you someday, Sheriff. Yeah. You know, one of those things. <laughs> Once I'm done writing The Dark Knight Returns, I'm going to come and shoot you down. So in order for, you know, uh, this guy's coming back into town, obviously, he knows that he's going to kill the sheriff on his wedding day. He's marrying right. Grace Kelly, and right. she is a uh, she's a Quaker, mm-hmm. and so he's giving up all violence, so he's giving up his job. Mm-hmm. But if he leaves, there's no one to be sheriff of the town. and For that day. For that day, and, right. and the Miller boys could come in and, and run roughshod all over the place. So he's tasked with trying to come up with uh, a posse in about three hours, four yeah, hours, right. something like well, that. Well, no, it's, it's, hour it's, and like half. it's an hour and a half. Oh, yeah, it, that's about the that length of the movie. The time is yeah. the length he has yeah, to Almost get it. in real time. Yeah. Why won't people come to his help, Matthew? I mean, why why forsake the man that has cleaned up your town? Well, there's there's actually a lot of reasons. I know that uh, the one that first shows up is his his usual primary deputy is mad because he was over uh, basically he was overlooked when they looked for a new marshal. Some of the people in the town are like, "Well, we paid him for years, and this still happened. What have we been paying for?" Everybody has their own rationalization and their own excuse of why they're not going to get involved. And it actually gets, it's really deep, and it's a lot more complex and nuanced than I expect from a Western from like 1955. 52. Yeah. 52, Uh, yeah. Yeah, what I thought um, was interesting interesting just about the story as a whole, I guess we'll just jump there really quick, because it felt like this didn't have to be a Western, that it wasn't Western genre super specific, like, uh, like say the searchers or something, need, like you couldn't just throw that entire movie right, whole cloth right, right, into right, sci-fi right. and it would work. But I felt like if you took this and uh, made it modern times, even almost the exact same wording for the entire movie, it still worked. Besides, if you just like remove train references to whatever, right? Yeah, the the shuttle to Omicron Theta yeah, fifteen. Sure. Well, what I find just so fascinating is the fact that the town is so divided on. Well, do we help right. the sheriff or not? And you have some people that are like, hey, we were friends with the Miller boys, so don't yeah. e- don't expect any help from us. You know, yep. get out of here. Uh, then you've got other people who are like, well, let's think about this. And mm-hmm. you have to have a whole political debate over, yes. you know, what's good or not so good. And, and you know, if, if we help, then mm-hmm. the Millers are just going to come after us, too. Yeah, and that, that church scene was really interesting 
because it wasn't specifically just oh we don't want to help them because it's going to come up it's all like yeah yeah super like the economics yeah, yeah. of <laughs> even having a marshal and then somebody tried to come in and, and tack on a rider to uh boost uh pig pig uh, sales for the future and then yeah. then uh, the next <laughs> thing you know someone wanted to protest uh protest that it, it just became very political to mm-hmm. the point yeah. where gary cooper's like you know what screw all y'all yeah i'm just gonna take <laughs> these guys on i don't care if it costs me my marriage i'm gonna take these four guys on and do my job because it's my freaking job technically and, it's not he's well, no longer the marshal at the time of the film he's he he picked the badge back up and he's the only one willing to carry that badge it was yep. is is very interesting i think his him as a character study I feel out of all the westerns we've watched in this last stretch is almost the most interesting to me. Why? Uh, be- because he's ne- you never really get a, a a grasp of why this one thing is so important. Well, why is it? Why do you think it is? I, why, why do you think for him it's so important to be the sheriff? I. Well, uh, I don't. I think because I almost think it's more. I think his sense of an of having to do this one job comes from more than just being the sheriff of this town that something it seemed went wrong in the whole proceeding of Frank Miller's case that something was slightly off and that he feels uh personal like super personally attached to his one case that something that Frank Miller did personally affected him so super tight let, let's put it let's put it in this frame you have done something really, really great and fantastic, sure. Zach. Let's just say that you have created the greatest film ever made. Awesome. Right? Yeah. And it's all in the works, and it's all ready to be you know, released, mm-hmm. and everything's going good, but you are stepping down as head of the studio. Okay. Right? And they're talking about bringing in this other guy that used to be the head of the studio. Yeah. But he's not – because he doesn't like you, he's going to butcher this film, and this film is a masterpiece. He's not going to release it correctly. Mm-hmm. He's going to basically make it a piece of trash, and you've got a choice. You can wait until the board of directors comes in and votes in a new, better sheriff, mm-hmm. or you can let this guy come in and ruin your life's work. What do you want to do? Stick around and for another day or two? Uh Yes, it's kind of a really complicated exaggeration, but no, essentially that. No, I mean, no, no, no. I think because I, I understand where you're coming from, and I think that it certainly is part of his like mental dilemma of what he should be doing. Because I don't think he's ever firmly in the camp of I need to be here, and this is the smartest thing for me and my future and my wife. Because uh, he leaves at first, and then right. he comes back, right? Uh, and then I, and then towards the end, he's about ready to leave town again. Mm-hmm. But then his deputy sheriff. Is like calling him out on it, mm-hmm. and eventually says he just needs to go. No, he doesn't. I don't think he ever wants to go. You don't think he ever he wants gets, to leave it that last scene he, when he's going about ready to go on the he horse? And L- L- Lloyd get in a fight. You're right uh, because Lloyd's trying to <laughs> make him get out of town. Right. So, but right before Lloyd comes into the barn, oh, I think he's just. Eh, maybe it's crossing it, it, his it, mind. It felt like it did. He wasn't like a hundred percent. I'm leaving now. He was contemplating. Oh. It didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. I thought I was going to get this really cool posse because right. everyone totally supports me. Right. And there won't any be any shooting because we'll have so many guns. It would be in, it would right. be insane for Miller to go up against us. Uh, but that didn't happen because uh, people don't have your back like you think they do. 
and uh, now I might die. And so, so parts in the movie, I thought uh, he's was his Kane. That's his name. Yeah, Kane is kind of. Uh, I was gonna say like like kind of like a bastard at at points of, um, uh, really like putting his wife uh, in danger right. to do this or threatening things. Um, but so I but then he comes around and I think uh, I'm on board with his decision to come back. Yeah, because I, I don't. I think I would be more on board if. It seemed like taking out Frank Miller was better for the town in general mm-hmm. from his perspective and not like a personal vendetta of righting a wrong. That's to me what it felt like that his motivation to going against Miller for most of the movie was a personal thing. Yeah, of I, I don't the- think he ever went after – Matthew, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he ever went – looked at the Millers as I'm going out of as a revenge, I think it is at a sense of duty of I need to protect this town okay. and make sure that they don't come back and turn it into what it used to be. I kind of feel like that too. I mean, it really feels like, especially the point where he's, you know, he's like, well, I want to get on the train. Mm-hmm. And he actually, he, he and his wife are in the wagon halfway out of town. I mean, they are off on their own. And then he's like, this is still my responsibility. You know, when he comes back, he's like, we wouldn't get away from him. So I'd end up fighting him one way or the other. But it's my responsibility to take care of him. Even though somebody else is technically the marshal, he won't be there till tomorrow. You know, it, it definitely feels like a man who is kind of driven by maybe an overwhelming sense of justice to the point where he really can't help the fact that he, he something some part of him has to stay. He'd rather not stay in yeah. a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, I understand. I mean, he's got a brand-new bride, a mail-order yep. bride from what we gather. And, yep. um, you know, Grace Kelly is, you know, as fine as an actress. But, Rodrigo, I think probably what what's really surprising is that we've got a really strong female character in the uh, character Helen Ramirez. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, the... Possibly the most interesting thing about this movie is that it's you're you're dropped into it and you start to realize that everyone in the town kind of has a relationship to each other, right? Right. You start finding out that there are old uh, allegiances to the Miller boys, and um, there are you know there's that one guy who walks in and he's like, "Sure, sheriff, I'll help you when you get a posse." You know, like um, right. So everybody knows everybody, but. Uh, uh, Helen Ramirez, who owns the uh, the majority of the local store. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it almost maybe not even the local store, because if you look at the name of the bar, the yeah. name of the bar, the saloon is the Ramirez Saloon. I think she is the, the local um, magnate. Yeah, magnet. the local magnate. Yeah. The, the Donia, for lack of a better word. So uh, she has a. Uh, prior relationship with the marshal mm-hmm. um, and is currently uh, having a similar relationship with the deputy marshal. Yes. Right. And didn't they allude to the fact that she actually had something with Miller at one point also? Also, yes. yes. Right. She has yeah. some sort of relationship with Miller. Right. Yeah. In, fact, yeah, yeah. in fact, really the, the illusion is that the whole trouble with Miller started kind of over Helen. Yeah. And that's that's an interesting take. I hadn't really thought about the fact that, you know, 
Kane is leaving town. We're not sure what kind of time frame. Well, I guess she says they haven't spoken in a year. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of makes you wonder if uh, Mrs. Ramirez isn't maybe more interested in protecting her stake than she is about having a boyfriend. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know because you know she did have a relationship mm-hmm. with Miller. Miller's coming back, and when he finds out that she's been sleeping with the sheriff and the deputy, yeah. she's fearing for her life because apparently, from what it's alluded to, he's a very rough lover. But what I like about this is here it's 1952, a time when you watch uh, Leave It to Beaver and it's pearl necklaces and stay home and make uh, make dinner mm-hmm. and have that drink ready for when the husband comes home. And then you get introduced to Helen Ramirez, who's not only a, a, a woman who owns a majority of many of the businesses in town, but is also Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really kind of progressive – for a movie that came out in 1952 and a story that came out at yeah. this time, but and also not unrealistic from the actual time period and events sure, that happened. Sure. And she certainly seems like the strongest willed character in the in movie. The whole, in the whole town. Yeah, sure. I mean, there, there is something about that. You know, I always do this during the movie. I'm like, okay, so there's this pretty girl, but my God, every time that woman is on screen, I cannot stop looking at her. She just like she has this aura around her of I control anything that I want to control, Mm -hmm. but screw you guys. I'm going home. Yeah. Throughout this whole film. It's like when when Mrs. Ramirez says she's out, that's when I think this whole town is beyond saving for me. (laughs) Well, she has enough clout and power throughout the town that she sends a dude to middle of a church service and interrupts that and gets a guy to come up to her place so she can sell him things like yeah. if she wants you people will come yeah yeah, yeah. she's she's probably the, the most powerful person in town and i like that i really really like that yes that's cool um the other thing that i find interesting is that there's a there's a parallel between marshall will kane and the uh, the HUAC uh, committee, the yes. House Un-American uh, Activities Committee. Yeah, and and if you're not familiar with this, Zach, this was this was uh, back in the time where they were trying to root out communists wherever they could find them. Oh, and, one, of, one of those decades of yeah, American yeah. history. And during the Red Scare, uh, many people in Hollywood who used to be affiliated with the Communist Party, because at one point the Communist Party was very big in the United States. Also, at one point, the Nazi Party was very popular in the United States. Um, And so if you were in any way associated with any Communist Party, Mm -hmm. you could be considered un-American. You could be somebody who um, could be undermining American interests around the world. You could Mm -hmm. be somebody who is a, a troublemaker. Sure. And so they were rooting out these people left and right. And it was a, it was a, to be honest, it was a witch hunt. Yeah. It was a terrible, Absolutely. terrible, yeah. it was a terrible time for politics because just by having a finger pointed at you and saying, Zach, you are one of those evil communists. Mm-hmm. Yep. That ruined your career. Sure. I mean, yep. literally people could not get work. Now there's some great stories and I forget which one I heard recently where someone was accused of, of being a communist and couldn't work. And yet this writer or this producer was hiring this writer under a different name for years because he wanted to make sure that this guy's career could continue. But this was a career ender. Mm -hmm. And the big thing was you had to come before 
the uh, the government, the um, I forget the House, you know, an American activities committee, some weird committee. Yeah, yeah it was le- led by uh, what, what's his name, Joseph uh, McCarthy. Jo- Joseph McCarthy, mm-hmm. Dick Central. Um, <laughs> so, in order to kind of clear yourself and show that you were patriotic, mm-hmm. you had to go in and you had to name everybody that you knew that was also a communist. And ruin their fine. careers in, in the process. Right. And basically, if you, if you named enough names, if there is such a thing, then you would prove that you're not a communist because clearly you can't have sympathies for the people that you've just thrown under the bus. And mm-hmm. from like 1945 to the, I want to say the late 50s, the Hollywood blacklist was a huge, huge deal. To the point where, you know, actors would be working, working, working. Their names would come up once in conversation in the House Activities Committee. And all of a sudden, the phone would literally just stop ringing. Yeah. And the bad thing was, you couldn't, none of your friends would come forward to help you. None of Mm -hmm. your friends would come forward and say, come on, this guy's not a communist. It was basically like you were persona persona non gratis, right? Mm -hmm. You were a non-person to everybody. Persona gratin. You were a person covered in cheese. Exactly. And it's very much the same thing that's happening with with Mr. Kane. Mm-hmm. He's basically a non-person. No one wants anything to do with him. And he, you have to go before the, the the McCarthys of of the world, and you have to stand and fight your own fight. Mm-hmm. So that I moment. I found that that's a very interesting parallel when we look at this part part in history. And it's not just Hollywood. I mean, Hollywood played a big role in it. Because of the parent, you know, Hollywood is influencing everyone, sure. everyone around the world, or especially in America, and being let into your homes through that devil television, that um, that Hollywood does get the light shown on it, also because they can control the media um, over this 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 era. And so I think it's very interesting that there's a kind of a parallel between uh, Will Kane and um, the what's his name um, Foster, I think is what is who it is. The writer of the story? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, uh, uh, the, uh, the foreman. Is, is Carl, Fre- foreman. Fre- uh, Carl Foreman and, and Fred Zinneman mm-hmm. uh, were involved in this, but especially um, Carl Foreman uh, yeah. outed as, as a communist. And, uh, or, you know, and he wasn't a communist. He was like communist 10 years prior. And I even think Lucille right. Ball at one point was a member of the Communist Party. I mean, there were a lot of people who were a member of the Communist Party yeah. back in the 1920s but- and 30s. Mm-hmm. Lloyd Bridges, who is in this movie, uh, mm-hmm. was what they called graylisted not long after this. He wasn't blacklisted where he never got work, but it, it got really difficult. I mean, think Leonard Bernstein at one point was on a list. Harry Belafonte, all of these people that you know, names that would leap out at you and go, I don't understand how this could even happen. These are people who couldn't get jobs anymore. They, I mean, they were considered somehow dangerous. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just terrible. Terrible, 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 terrible. So I, how then, beyond just that, I mean, do you also see that parallel, Rodrigo? Yeah, not not really as saying uh, this is what they have to face against the government, but really the indictment of having your friends turn against you, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So this isn't a movie, if you see it through that lens, it's not a movie about uh, how, the, uh, yeah, I mean, you could see the outlaws as, as the, the thugs in the government. But really what it is, is at the moment when all of your friends, when you need your friends to back you up, everybody's too scared to do it, right? Yeah, here's yep. an interesting interesting quote up on uh, Wikipedia. 
Uh, actor John Wayne disliked the film because he felt it was an allegory for blacklisting, which he actively supported. In his Playboy interview in May 1971, Wayne stated he considered High Noon the most un-American thing I've ever seen in my whole life and went on to say he would never regret having helped blacklist liberal screenwriter Carl Foreman from Hollywood. That's Well, I didn't know that, and that's very interesting. And it's yeah. super interesting because when... Um, Gary Cooper won the Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role. John Wayne accepted it on his behalf because Cooper wasn't at the ceremony. Right. Well, now, Cooper was not um, – he was, quote-unquote, friendly, a friendly witness to HUAC. Right. Um, so he would so go he and testify. O- oh, so he was Wayne okay. was okay with, in his eyes, even though it was a part of the most un-American movie. Right, right, right. Well, mainly because <laughs> you had Carl Foreman writing it, that, mm-hmm. that communist, um, which, which is just crazy, man. But, I mean, that that I think is kind of the elements of the time. That's the, you know, we use the word a lot, but that's the zeitgeist that this came out of. And it would kind of take a really paranoid worldview like that to create a movie like this. This is a movie that is, it, it requires a world where people come in and go, ooh, this, you know, this feels familiar. I can connect to this, this paranoia, this overarching thought of, Whose side am I on? Should I team up with you or should I follow up with you? What's going to happen? That's part of the reason why this movie even exists. Yes, exactly. And so for our movie for next time, we're going to take a look at Rio Bravo because it was it was done by Howard Hawks and John Wayne. And Hawks says that I made Rio Bravo because I didn't like High Noon. I didn't want a town marshal running around scared like a chicken. I wanted to show a man's man. I already hate this movie. Well, it, judge it on its merits. I, I know, mean, it's I will. Okay. It just sounds really dumb I, because I think I'm there's not, a lot I'm of good stuff in I'm not going to I'm tell in. you that I, I've seen Rio Bravo and I hate it and there's reasons to hate it because that would be wrong. <laughs> yeah. That would be coloring your opinion of the of the movie. So, you know, you'll learn to hate it on its own merits. <laughs> I mean, I really haven't, like, truly hated a movie we've watched in a long time. I've always found something good in it. But that just seems like the most petty reason to make a movie Ever, because I think there's a lot of good stuff in High Noon. But obviously, I guess if you're in, I mean, it would be, <laughs> I guess if, if uh, uh, I don't know, some pundit from Fox went and made a movie, and or someone from like CNBC made a movie, and then Fox people hated it based off of weird political merits, and then they made their own movie in retaliation. That's kind of what it feels like they're doing with the with. Well, Sam or Roger. just just because I mean. I know some people out there don't like Adam Carolla. I like Adam Carolla. Mm-hmm. I, I oftentimes agree with many of his views, not all of them, but he is he oftentimes is asked to be on um what's that crazy guy's name on uh Bill O'Reilly? Bill O'Reilly. He's yeah. often asked to be How the frick did we know that? <laughs> but he's often asked to be and I know many people out there probably like Bill O'Reilly and that's, that's fine. fine. My dad loves Bill O'Reilly. Um, but he's often asked to be a guest on Bill O'Reilly, and because he's often on Bill O'Reilly giving his views on a topic People automatically align him with ultra conservative. Sure. And he's really not. Uh, and so it's it's interesting that just because you are within six degrees of separation of someone mm-hmm. that suddenly you have that same belief system of that of that person, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I find very interesting. And just because you're associated with this film, somehow you're you're wrong. Right. So what are the good things in this movie, Zach? Uh, well, one things I, that you like. I really I really enjoyed the. The whole framing of the movie based on it is essentially happens in real time. Like we mm-hmm. start an hour and a half, well, give pretty or take, much, a, yeah, pretty, yeah. almost about an hour and a half until noon. And this movie runs about one an hour and a half, 
Uh, so it's not like one of those movies where they're, they have five minutes to get to the bomb and that whole sequence is 25 minutes long, uh, which is fine if you, if you understand, uh, uh, editing and the manipulation of time and it's, it's constructed in a way that makes uh, in weird editing terms, logical sense for it to take that long. Um, but it's, it's not something you see very many movies do. There's usually... Uh, uh, um, uh, an elongation of time or a compression of time of multiple days are turned into two hours or years are turned into two hours. Uh, very rarely, I feel like, do we even get uh, really, really, we get a whole movie that essentially happens in real time. So I thought that was very interesting. I thought that they did a lot of great sequences within that, mm-hmm. uh, especially right before noon, where you had a lot of. You went back and saw all the people in the town. Oh, like, reflecting and, and on Reflecting their, on, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's about noon, and you get a shot a lot of the clock, yeah. uh, and then you finally hit the noon, and you wait, like, three beats, and then you get the train whistle. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was really nice. The train uh, whistle coming in that late surprised me, too, because I'm, like, yeah. really, really tense, and then it's, like, silence, mm-hmm. silence, silence. Beautiful. Yeah. Because yeah. now that, uh, I mean, we've all watched a lot of movies, you kind of think, and, and something like this, like, oh, wouldn't it be crazy if the train just never showed up? Like, where would they take the story at that point? Which mm-hmm. is weird things I think people will think about when they watch enough movies. Is like, oh, will they just like stick to it, or will they just go some completely off the ball, uh, like normal life scenario? Your plane is delayed three hours. Thing like, will the train really show up at like three? <laughs> and they're all just like yeah. sitting around for three hours, not knowing what to do. <laughs> uh, but no, but that was a really just a, an amazingly well put together uh, sequence waiting for the train um i the, the fight in the barn between uh kane and uh lloyd or yeah, yeah. Lloyd, lloyd bridges yeah um was interesting because they started doing different camera shots mm-hmm. that they hadn't done uh throughout the entire movie mainly like first person's perspective of like putting the camera right where someone's face would be looking and watching the punches come in, yeah, um, which was really, uh, which is really almost jarring to a point of when you're when you're looking for things like that of just completely changing up the way they're shooting a scene to do it. And it was it was an amazingly well put together th- scene, I thought, especially for the time and um, what had been going on before. I thought it was uh, really paced really well. It had a lot of uh, quick cuts and interesting shots that made the fight uh, feel more violent than it probably actually really was. Cause I mean, he only got like hit in the face like, a couple times. Yeah, he was like yeah, barely, yeah. he was like weirdly bleeding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that was a really good uh, particular scene. I re- and the one thing that made me laugh out loud, which I thought was like, Oh wow, this is an amazing shot. And then I started laughing really loud is when you show Kane the middle of the street and they do this huge pullback crane shot yeah. up to the top of the town. You see how desolate and no yeah. one's there to help him. Of course, then you look in the background. You see telephone wires, <laughs> yes. modern buildings. I, I, I noticed <laughs> that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just started laughing so hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, that but, didn't show up in the theaters in 1950. <laughs> or else uh-huh. people were too. I, I, I did the exact same yeah. thing, right? Um, but my thought was too, you're supposed to be focused on the man. Oh, absolutely. And you're supposed to be focused on how, how singled out he yes. is. And we've seen this shot. This same shot, this high noon shot, a million yep. times in a min- million mm-hmm. other films. So that's yeah. good that, that you were noticing that. So, Rodrigo, those are some things that Zach likes. What are some things people should be cautious of and maybe some things that are not so good about this film? Uh, uh, let's see. Things that people should, I, I guess, like uh, bad 
bad takeaways uh, from this film. Um, you gotta. So th- this film actually does a pretty good job of doing the the real time thing, but it's a dangerous, dangerous game to play. Right. Um, oh sure. Because uh, all it takes is somebody to say, "Hey, wait a minute! How long does it take to get across town?" Right. Right. You know, it's like he's at the church, he's at the train station, he's at the hotel, he's back at the church, he's uh, at, you know, at the edge of town in somebody's farm. You're like, well, this is all happening in real time. It's really not. It, it, it can't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in a little tiny town, it still takes a while for all these conversations to happen and mostly for him to move. You know, he is almost completely out of town. You can't see the town behind him when he turns around. Right. You know, that sort of thing. So uh, the movie does a good job of keeping your eye away from that, but um, it's a dangerous game to play, right? Right. Uh, obviously, another thing is, is you got to watch, uh, when you're doing a period piece, you got to watch things like uh, Burbank in the background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, watches and tennis shoes on people, as we've seen before. Um, that All of that is, 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 a, is an issue as well. And... I mean, I don't know. Honestly, like, I, I can't think of too many things that this movie did wrong. Um, I think that it's pretty unusual for a Western uh, because it's kind of its own movie. It's not. It's not trying to. Like, it, it seems that all the characters react naturally. Yeah. You know the mm-hmm. uh, the um, the marshal is constantly freaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, during that big uh, crane shot, he's not standing there square with like his hands on his hips, like "ha I will shoot him, criminals!" Right. Um, he's freaking out. He's pretty sure he's gonna get shot. Um, his his uh, was he is he a Quaker? Yeah. His yes. Quaker mm-hmm. wife uh, ends up spoiler alert picking up a gun and shooting a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I, we should probably let listeners know if they haven't ever seen this film. She became a Quaker only after she yeah, watched her father and her brother, brother get died. killed right. through right, violence. Right. Yeah, there's like again, it's not this movie doesn't really glorify violence. And you can say that you know the end sequence is very exciting and everything, but there's a pretty strong condemnation of violence from the beginning, mm-hmm. and it feels like a big deal when a a lady picks up a gun and be a Quaker picks up a gun yeah, um, simultaneously mm-hmm. and start shooting because, you know, otherwise they're going to kill her husband. Yeah. Um, right. There's also a lot of stuff that in a, like, uh, there's plenty of exploitive emotional stuff, but really not as much as they could have had. Uh, the, the girls walk right by the, uh, the bad guys at yeah. least once. Oh, yeah. Twice, mm-hmm. because yeah. They get on the train and then she gets right off the train and the bad guys are just kind of hanging out there. Yeah. And they don't even do anything. Well, they may, yep. you know, of course, for Grace Kelly's character, they may not know who she is because one of right. them comments, oh, she wasn't here five years ago. I'm going to go introduce myself mm-hmm. to her. But then they they do see uh, Helen Ramirez walk right. by and they don't do anything about that, mm. which they know Miller would be very, uh, very upset about if, right. if she got away. I. I thought a lot. Like, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought they did a lot of things well. Yeah, I was really kind of let down by like the ending, the very ending. 
where uh, he just rides off into the sunset. Yes, where or rides off she, into where the Grace Kelly picks up a gun, shoots a guy. Yeah, so it goes against all of her her like religious well, kind of thing that she'd been describing to right. So that's right. a huge huge big deal. Which uh, from the way the movie had been constructed up to that point, seemed to be doing a lot dealing a lot with a lot of personal inner right. confliction because because a lot of people in the town and right. Grace Kelly's character were hiding behind religion as a reason not to get involved. I mean the the the, uh, the preacher yeah, in the church sure. was basically like, "Hey, this is not my fight. You, you you know, my congregation, you shouldn't be involved in this. Uh, you know, this is a, this is something that goes mm-hmm. on. We shouldn't be killing one another." Right. blah 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 right, blah. Right, right, right. And the Quaker in Grace Kelly's character is like, "No, we don't we don't do any religion." Right. And then when it does come push comes to shove, Religion does, gets shoved to the side in favor right. of saving somebody that she so, loves. So I find that that character moment mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I thought they might delve delve into that. Mm-hmm. Not, well, let's kill three people, leave them in the street, right. have everyone in the town rush, rush out. out. So they were yeah. all watching this the entire time. Yeah, they were. Watch him drop a badge and then not say a single word mm-hmm. and just get in the thing and ride out. He's basically like, I've done my job. Screw you guys. I'm out of here. Yeah. I think that was that was the most interesting thing that I thought, too, was that no one came up to shake the sheriff's hand to say, good job, sheriff. No. You did your job. He was just like, F you all. My job's done. Yeah. I'm gone. That wasn't that. I'm kind of fine with that. But I, I really wanted to see. Well, like, so what's uh, what's Grace Kelly thinking right now? Like, she has to be. Oh, you super to messed see. up in the head right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, that's, that's what, what I wanted to see. He's saying, yeah, he's saying they didn't deal with that yeah. on Grace Kelly's right. part. She basically, everything that she had been saying from the beginning, like from the beginning, she's like, nope, let's just get out of here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. They'll never find us. There's no reason to fight. This is not your fight anymore. We don't have to fight. There's no reason to fight. Now she's fighting. Yeah. And the they give it no treatment at the end. And I think that's that's a good example of how even though this movie is really wildly progressive, mm-hmm. um, Maybe a lot of that was, I, I, in fact, I'm pretty sure a lot of that wasn't a deliberate attempt to be progressive, but rather an attempt to have interesting characters. Yeah. Um, which then um, gets shoved aside for the personal uh, arc of the main character, right? Mm-hmm. So, sure. yeah, like probably the most interesting thing that happens is a, a Quaker picks up a gun and shoots a guy, mm-hmm. yeah. kills him. That's, you know, you can make a movie around that. Like, sure. She, like, you can rewrite this movie so that she's the main character, and her arc is probably actually more interesting. Oh, yeah. If, if, if you go back and do another movie based around her character, you could do some, especially if you do, like, modern times where you played with uh, past, present, future, or past and present, at least, and, like, flashback to that, like, start with that scene and then you go with her and her husband out trying to deal with, like, trying to be married after they were married for an hour and got in a huge fight. <laughs> and we were just right. going to leave yeah, each yeah. other. And then now they're back together and the whole day. And you flash back to her, her I mean, dad and her brother dying and stuff. The, um, the way that this movie should have ended is the, uh, the town comes up to the sheriff. He takes his star and he throws it in the ground. He goes to put his hand on the small of the back of his wife to get her on the wagon, and she slaps it away and walks to the train station. Yeah, sure. Right? It's yeah. like nobody gets what they wanted. 
it's like the bad guys are dead, the town is safe, but everyone lost. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been. A, I would have been totally fine with that ending. But since like they end up together, I wanted like a really super boring twenty minutes of yeah. them delving into her emotions of just what like, she just did. Yeah, like, like it wouldn't and, have worked like, at all. But I really, oh no, that, this, this marriage is over in about a year. Yeah. Minutes of that is just angry silence. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like this movie. Oh no! Don't get me wrong. I really do like this movie, and I uh, was super surprised. One because it's a, a short western. Yeah, <laughs> and it does a lot of really good things with. Uh, I mean, really all around, I thought it did a lot of things really well with plot and story and uh, camera in the technical side. You're probably not going to like Rio Bravo then, because it's two hours and twenty one <laughs> minutes just to start. Oh, god dang my it! God. Well, I mean, well, I mean it, what's the shortest movie John Wayne's ever done? It's it, I don't even know if it's been under two hours, right? <laughs> probably not. Uh, the shortest movie John Wayne ever did was called Waha, and it's three <laughs> minutes long. And he goes Waha. <laughs> so what do you uh, what do you take away from this, Zach? What are you going to use and incorporate? You live out in the West. I do live out in the West. You can incorporate this a lot in your promos for your TV shows. Yeah. I don't Western know. I mean, if Kansas? I, did this. Um, I don't know. Gosh, I don't know. I think if I wanted to tell an interesting story, like go back and watch this and try to pick up how they're molding their characters mm-hmm. and how they're doing the plot things and what I liked and what I didn't from that side... Um, I don't know. It's interesting because I don't like write a whole lot, but I thought the writing was really the best part of the movie. Like I thought the performances were, I mean, they were good enough. I thought they were, I mean, they were decent. They weren't like horrible or anything. I don't think they were like the best thing I've ever seen in the world. Uh, but besides, I thought Kane actually did fairly well. Yeah. Um, Technical wise, I think I picked up a lot of stuff like that, but um, they really didn't do like super anything crazy that would be out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And from now, I mean, from 1952, I thought they did some stuff uh, that was probably would have been uh, really interesting to see at that time. But I thought, really, from a plot wise uh, and how they crafted their characters is interesting. I mean, just in how they told their presented their story, I guess. Yeah. I don't know how to qualify yeah. that in like a sentence. The one thing obviously. that I the one thing that I noticed was that um the way everything was just lit made it seem very video. It, it mm. gave it a very interesting it yeah. gave it a feel of uh, watching okay. television. Because everything just looked really sharp and everything was in focus and it everything, and it didn't it didn't feel film like. Especially you know, the stuff inside felt like yeah. I was watching a soap opera. I remember it's actually just like the first scene where you get the guy next to the tree and they come over the guy on the horse mm-hmm. or whatever and you, and you kind of get a tight shot of a guy. And I was like, wow, they're using some super good sharp glass on those cameras because yeah, yeah. it looks really good. Yeah. And it yeah, just, I wasn't sure. I mean, did they use like a funny filter on this or no, something? No, it, it wouldn't have been a filter effect. It was probably like just the fact that they were lighting lots of light yeah and they had a really small aperture which would have given you a depth of field you know to the moon mm. and yeah. um, just because of the bright intense light gave it that really sharp look and because we today are are very um accustomed to seeing that and associating it with with television it probably yeah. gives us that and mm-hmm. plus it was also you know it wasn't uh 16 by 9 no, or anything like that it was very close to the uh 
to the four three uh, aspect yeah. ratio. So that's kind of probably what what did it for me. Have any this of is, you? Oh, sorry, Matthew. That's okay. This is another one of the movies that I first saw colorized. I, I was, was going to ask: Has anyone watched it colorized? Because it got yeah. Know, huh? It got treated first in time like I ever saw it. Yeah, the first time I ever saw it, it was colorized, and I was like, eh, you know, it's 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 a western, but yeah. with. You know, in the original form, looking at it, and I really like the uh, the version that I ended up getting, where it's like super crisp and it's super, mm-hmm. you know, all of the the contrast is just amazing. I'm a huge high contrast guy to the point where people accuse me of crushing my blacks, but you know, it's something where I, it just looks so good. And I remember seeing it in color, and it, my mind wants to feel like it was a completely different and less, you know, a less entertaining experience. With the colorization. Not that colorization was particularly realistic anyway. <laughs> it looked like, a lot of times it looked like they colored the whole thing with blush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, look, here's a pink guy standing in front of a yellow color. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, there's some good things to, to take mm-hmm. away from this. So, um, any other thoughts? Any other things you guys want to bring up on, I on thought that High Noon? Bert, the one guy who was willing to fight, kind of reminded me of a young Carol O'Connor. And I actually had to go digging to see if it really was a young Carol O'Connor. It turns out it wasn't, which makes it sad. <laughs> did um, you guys? Did you guys see Colonel Potter? Yeah, Henry Morgan. Yeah, or Harry Morgan. Whatever. Harry his name Morgan. Was. Yeah. Harry Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. Colonel Potter was in this for five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> also, something that I that I did not like. Lloyd Bridges. They keep talking about Lloyd Bridges as this young. He's he's this young punk. This you know impulsive jerk. And I'm like, dude, this guy's 40 if he's a day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Mr. Sheriff looks like he was like 60 or something. <laughs> 257 years old. Yeah. Well, he was 50 at the time. Is it 50 at the time? He was 50 yeah. as an actor. How old was Grace Kelly? 30 years younger. Like 20? She was 20. She was 20. Yeah, yeah, there was a huge yeah. age gap there. Well, but I mean, that's also not uncommon. That's not uncommon mail now. Order, mail order bride situation. Mm-hmm. No, it's not uncommon now. No. I mean, it, I don't. It, I don't know. People can get into the ageism all they want. I don't have a problem no. with it. Yeah, she would have been like 21 in 1951, I think. Yeah. Anything else? Married a prince. Rodrigo? Um, I guess just when you're out making movies, make sure your side characters aren't more interesting than your main character. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so that will wrap up this episode of Zach on Film Talk About High Noon. Make sure to head over to MajorSpoilers.com where you can find this podcast posting page and you can give any of your own thoughts about High Noon and comment about anything we've discussed on this episode. While you're there, click on that Amazon.com link where you can go buy anything uh, that your heart desires. Maybe a copy of High Noon, maybe of uh, anything else we've watched on Zach on Film and glorious Blu-ray. It's not going to cost you any extra if you use that link, but a little bit will come back to Major Spoilers to help keep this ship going down river. So next week, we will be talking a movie I forgot the name of. Rio Bravo. Rio Bravo on (laughs) Zach on Film. (laughs) 